This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Nico Leonard Vanderhorst. He is the, the founder and owner of an interesting watch store uh, in Belfast called Pride and Pinion. Nico, welcome. Thank you so much, Ariel. What an honor to be on. What an honor. <laughs> it's it's a it's a mutual honor. And I think that just to explain to everyone, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because you represent this new breed of watch retailer who becomes a personality unto themselves. And I want to talk a little context here because going back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, let alone 10 or 15 years ago, you'd never think that um, watch salespeople themselves um, are personalities and performers. But what you have today is yourself and many other people around the world who sell watches as well as their own personality. Where did all this come from, in your opinion? To, to be completely honest, I wouldn't have a clue. I just wanted to share my love for watches. And, and due to the fact social media is, is accessible to everyone and you can share your passion and your love for watches using social media, um, I think, I, like personally for me, I just became a persona on its own. And and um, if you if you think about how that is possible, I think it's because it's easier to reach more people. So you're saying that it's just sort of a technique that works. And again, I'm trying to sort of focus on this notion of what is it that goes into this personality. And you you've you talked about, I guess, the the, the crux of it, which is a passion for the hobby. Uh, mm-hmm. But throughout this conversation, I'd like to discuss this idea of what does it take to be a sellable personality to sell watches? Because it's not for everyone, for sure. And no. certain people, like yourself, have this right blend of approachability, um, familiarity, uh, you know, knowledge uh, of the topic, as well as sort of a, a mind sense. Uh, you know, it's sort of like a uh, a bit of a cowboy, right? Because you're sort of doing a lot of the things, you're making up the rules as you go along. Uh, again, I just I'm trying to talk about a larger category that you represent. I'd love some more of your thoughts on it. I, if I look at myself, I'm I'm I am who I am, and 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 it's therefore very easy to be yourself. Like I don't want to be anyone and anyone else. So. In a likable persona, I, I, it's like I, I can't make a judgment call on that to be completely honest. But I'm, I'm, I'm proud to represent the new generation of, of, of people that love this, this hobby so much. And and um, I think with that, the watch world is developing as well. The watch world is becoming younger uh, next to uh, the people that represent the watch industry. Like, I mean, look at 1996, look at Patek Philippe all of a sudden bringing out a, an Aquanaut with a rubber strap. I mean, that was out of order at the time. For a brand like Exactly, for a brand <laughs> like Patek Philippe. Now, being me and being not the guy that always wears in a suit and, and, and always speaks the, the proper language, um, I would like to counter ask, a, a counter question that one, is who has decided that the industry has to be as formal as it is today. Well, I mean, this is an industry of rules and codes and traditions. So by definition, they hold on to the past unless you give them a very good reason to let go of it. All right. So I want to give everyone the reason to to do that and be themselves and, and express them in the way 
uh, they won't do it. It's it's about passion. It's about love. It's about knowledge. And the way we gather and we we learn and we get information and get knowledge is easier than it was in the past. So um, you can be a, a, an expert in your field by by not going to the best university in the world. Do you see what I mean? It's not about that. Yeah. No. I I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I want your your thoughts on this idea. And the idea is that. Mm-hmm. In order for people to get into watches these days, they need to be inspired. And it's oftentimes good to be inspired by a personality that has passion. You know, people don't just grow up automatically into watches. They have to become watch lovers prior to them being able to enter the hobby. And myself and you, in slightly different but also very similar ways, have projected our own passion for the hobby. And people that are receptive to that message are like, oh, this person's really into this topic. I should look into it. I, I wonder if I would be as into it as them. And, and many people agree, yes, this is cool. Do you agree that we are instrumental in the creation of new watch lovers, whereas the watch industry itself is not doing a very good job at that? Absolutely. You hit a home run right there. Let me be very abrupt and very, very direct here in saying that the watch industry and including the biggest brand, brands in the world have absolutely zero clue about who their customers actually are, right? And we, as our normal people, I'm a normal guy coming from a normal, hardworking family. And I work my absolute bollocks off every, every day. I'm a normal guy that loves his watches. And as a generation now to come, we're more relatable. More relatable to, to and, anything And Patek Philippe, which is a brand that I know you like, they don't know how to have a down-to-earth, normal conversation with anyone, do they? Exactly, exactly. Listen, Cherry Stern is a visionary, right? He's an absolute, like, I was watching, an, I was recently watching an interview where he spoke about the the new releases, the 5396, how the DAO, how, how the DAO came about, right? And then... He was talking about the that his sons are now uh, coming into the into the business, and as well, um, uh, Michel Glabiver, his son is coming in within the business, and, and and in all cases, it's all so formal. It's also listen, people need to become themselves, and a watch brand like Patek Philippe has no idea what their customer what what their customers are. Like, I mean, we're we're talking about the Nouveau Nouveau Riche. We're talking about the new money, like. The 20-year-olds of today are, are richer than, than of, of my time and the time before that. Uh, cryptocurrencies made a lot. Made and, crypto- and they don't come built in with a knowledge of vintage cars and vintage wines, exactly. right? Like you go to the watch brands and the people running it are cultured, but it's such old world culture. It's like, yeah. do you know anyone that grew up like with violin lessons? Like that doesn't happen <clears throat> anymore. <laughs> I am. I actually. Funny enough, I absolutely didn't expect this conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely loving it because this is something I struggle with every single day, right? Because in my head, I I see these brands, and I, you know, you know, remember the day when IWC was cool that said that IWC mentioned that like in in an advertisement that that their watches, the Da Vinci Perpetual Calendar, was more complicated than. Than a woman, uh, except. Or do you remember the say "engineered for men"? That was their tagline for a long time. Engineered for men. That was passion. That was that was. Today you can't say that anymore. You see what I mean? We're becoming so much like in a world where everything is being, everything gets rules. Everything has rules, right? I just want to be myself and be unique and and get rid of all these rules. And and it's passion that will always 
um, always uh, win uh, in, in in my world. That's what I've been. That's what I've been taught. So let's talk about your own personal origin story. How did the passion for watches begin with you prior to you ever being able to share it? Um, for me, like I started falling in, falling in love with watches at, at a very young age, the age of about 13 years old. Um, Ariel, I'm a kid with ADHD. I, I wasn't doing really well at school. It, it wasn't really for me, not that I wasn't intelligent enough or whatever. It's like I speak so forward. I get it. I was bored. I speak several languages fluent. I, 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 I have a very good memory. Let, let's put it that way. But I was just always. Fascinated. I like how it's a learning disability when you're bored at school. Yeah. <laughs> like how that's how they classify it. Oh, you don't it, like this slow ass old program? Yeah, you have a learning disability. Yeah, definitely. You're different. I needed to go to through special education because I was just like I was different. Yeah, I was different. And 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 listen, as a, as a kid, I struggled with it massively. Um, at a later age, I've seen it as a superpower. And ADHD, uh, in fact, Ariel is a superpower. Uh, and I'm very, very happy and grateful that that I have the capabilities that I have today. You see what I mean? And, and that maybe I maybe up. take the 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 last D out of that. You know, where we call it a disorder. I know this is not related to watches, but you know, we live in a culture right now that likes to label. Uh, different approaches to learning and different approaches to growing up. I feel that the term disorder does everyone a real negative. I mean, like you said, yeah. you're, you're, you're different for sure, but you could actually be better. And the term disorder actually implies that you're worse. I think that yeah. it sets up a lot of kids for failure by applying these labels. Now, I was fortunate where when I was growing up in school, it was just before the era of you know prescribing kids these drugs and, and then right. putting them in these special classes and things like that. It was just before, that was just sort of starting as I was getting out. I probably would have been classified in there. I'm so happy I, I, I didn't because I just sort of had to endure my own struggles. Like it was really hard for me in certain classes and I, I was a late bloomer in a lot of areas, but like not having a crutch forced me to do better, you know? Yeah. No, but for me, for me, like for me to be completely honest, like I was really late. Like, I mean, I, I literally... I never finished any school, right? Um, I, I was just against everything. That personally, I wasn't the nicest person on the planet either. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Um, there's a lot of their uh, personality wise that 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 I'm, I'm I wasn't happy with. But so you were a I, fighter. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't fight. Like I wouldn't be physical. I would be always against everything. You see what I mean? I would just. Yeah. I would be that that. Uh, I, like I, I Nico the disruptor. Yeah, I, I, I promise you not to use bad language, so I'm not going to do that. So I find it difficult to express myself. But I mean, I I I was different in 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 many ways. And as a kid, I'd taking medication and, and being being perceived per, or being looked at differently, um, that that was tough as a kid. But listen, these lessons shaped me and made me who I am today, and I'm very very proud of it. Very very proud of it, and and grateful. My parents made my parents went to hell. The hell with me, absolutely. And so they, so they gave you wristwatches as a surrogate parent. They're like, here, no, these will raise you. Now the funny bit is, I always had big fights with my father, uh, in particular. Uh, like, I, I took his watches apart. Now they weren't, they weren't massively expensive watches, in, as in the sense of they cost thousands and thousands of pounds. They were expensive to my father, right? So that, that's a different definition of expensive, and and like. Because for me, I found it very hard to read and to to be 
interested in, in anything rather like I was just interested in Lego or in movements in, in like the actual mechanics of the watch was the one that really got me. Right. It's so it was just this rare thing that was able to capture attention. So Mr. Hard to Focus has now found himself something that he can focus on. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you become hyper-focused. So then I was became just absolute and utterly obsessed and, and with taking watches apart. And this is where my father uh, didn't really like me for many years because I couldn't put the watches back together, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, you're fa- so did you feel like your father loved watches more than you? I mean, what are we talking about here? And no, my father didn't really care about <laughs> watches that much. But the fact that I destroyed his gold watch, <laughs> uh-uh. that was, like, that did was, you ask that was first wonderful. at least? Or was this, no uh, chance. This is a- no chance. Did oh, I, ask? I see. Was- <laughs> it's, uh, for me, I was the guy that always apologized rather than uh, asked for permission. Let's put it that way. But, okay. Uh, well, so how would you feel today if someone just without asking took one of your gold watches and maybe in good faith thought they could put it back together but yeah. did an irreversible breakdown. How would that make the, you feel? This is Ariel. This is what. This is why I told you I was a bad, bad kid. Like <laughs> <laughs> I was a okay. Bad so you learned kid. your lesson along the way. Good. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, that's why I say as well. My parents, my parents had a tough time with me, and and um, I'm uh, I'm very, very, very proud uh, now that I. They're uh, they're at peace. They finally they finally know that that things are going well. You see what I mean? They're proud of you. That's important. No, like I'm I'm proud. I'm proud. Yeah, yeah, like definitely, definitely. It's tough to talk about that. To be honest, and say your parents are proud of you. It's like my dad. My dad is not really the person to to say things like that. But recently, he actually mentioned, and that was was cool. Yeah, that's 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 great. That that motivates you. I think that a lot of people in our space, when you really boil down their motivations. There's someone from their childhood who they're trying to satisfy. Maybe it's a father or a mentor, but it's like they're trying to make the watch that would satisfy that mentor. They're trying to make the business reality that would satisfy them. And it's a major motivator to to have this real or imaginary family member or mentor that you're seeking to, you know, to to satisfy. It can it can make people do great things, right? Yeah, definitely. But it also can hold you back. <laughs> you see what I mean? Okay. That's that's a that's a whole other question. Okay, so you, you got into watches, you were always curious about it. And and when did you turn a hobby into a profession? Um, Ariel, to be completely honest, I, I never thought that I would be able to make this my profession. Um like luxury watches or or Rolex or or like something like that was just out of our reach. Um I don't really come from a wealthy background. To be completely honest, I, I come from a low, lower, middle, okay. lower middle class. It's funny class. in this industry, it's like if you don't come from a rich family or trust fund baby, it's like you don't have the legitimacy to be into high-end watches. And there's there's an argument to saying that it, it take, it's harder to get into, but it's like you have to apologize. You're like, I'm in the luxury industry, but I didn't necessarily grow up you know, having yeah. everything provided to me. Like That's okay because we're, we're aspirational types. Like We saw something that we liked when we were younger, we couldn't afford it. And it pushed us to to get a little bit higher than we might have been otherwise. Absolutely, absolutely agree. And for, for me, like I want to be the person that, that that can show the world or can show a big, big public that, that you can literally start from nothing. And it isn't about money. It's about passion. And that is for me, one of the most important things. And, 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 People can like this is why I was really proud that you reached out. Like, I mean, your audience are 
Like, I mean, they're proper watch geeks in, in, in every way possible. They're very interested in the core of the, of the watch. That's a good thing, everyone. That's a good thing. This is, oh, no, mate. This is me. This is, like, I, I read your stuff. I, like, I, the only thing I can read is watch-related stuff. You see what I mean? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like, I currently, let me, let me, I'm holding currently a catalog from IWC of 2006. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going through this book. You, you could easily just change the date, the, the year of that to 2022, to be honest, because it would look exactly the same. Um, the watches would be exactly the same. It's but just a catalog is, of data. That's all it yeah, is. Yeah. You see, it's like, this is, this is my life. And, 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 and it, it's really cool that, that now I, I got an, um, like I've, I've been, I, I, I listen a lot. Uh, Scottish watches, although uh, the Scottish accent I sometimes struggle with. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> Rick, love you loads. <laughs> um, but it's 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 just I find it very cool, and, and I really appreciate it. Appreciated uh, the invitation, and and when we met each other in Geneva, really really cool. I loved your watch as well. Um, yeah, really cool. I don't think many. Oh yeah, you knew what it was. It's rare that anybody knows what it is. Exactly. I knew exactly what it was, how many pieces there were produced. 26 of the moon, of the, the moonstone uh, Louis Munet with a, with a pattern chronograph pushers. This is the stuff I, I obsess about. I, again, I, I really want to focus a little bit more on sort of the career path here because I think it's interesting for people to, uh, to know how, how someone gets into the business you're in. So, you know, talk a little bit more about getting into the industry. What were you doing? Did you start by selling watches? Was it something else? Um, you know, I don't even know the full time you've been in the industry. Uh, I, I, I started at a very late age, mate. I started my company at the age of 29 and I always had dead end sales jobs, right? So I worked at call centers, worked at McDonald's, worked at a restaurant, was fired, uh, literally was fired. Call centers. That's hard to do. Is it cold calling or yes, was it inbound? Yeah, no, in cold calling and all sorts. Ooh. Um, and like, like I said, I, I, I didn't really, uh, I don't have any education and, and, it was hard to get get a job. Now, at the age of twenty five, I moved to Northern Ireland because I, I needed a restart, mate. I needed needed a proper, like I needed just a different. So environment. from the Netherlands to Ireland. Yes, I moved to Northern Ireland, Belfast, Northern Ireland, um, which I adopted my home, which I proud. I am so ridiculously proud to be live here. Um, this is my country, mate, and uh, this is the this is what's the, Belfast like. I've never been to any part of Ireland, and I, I've always wanted to go. I mean, I know the Kenneth Branagh movie called Belfast just came out a few uh, months ago. I haven't actually had yeah, to see it yet, but I'm I'm fascinated. Tell me about uh, Belfast. Belfast is a small city um, with a very very close community. Now, um, a lot of people would 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 think Belfast and 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 think back in the troubles and stuff like that. Um, that's not. That 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 that's non-existing anymore. Um, it's a city that that had the troubles. That's what they call it. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, the troubles. Uh, Good Friday Agreement, right? Um, we just passed that. Um, and and listen, it's a city that had a lot of problems, and 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 because of that, the, the, actually, the last soldiers actually left in 2011, um, and and it's it's today's city is, is vibrant with, with an incredible university called Queen's University, uh, probably one of the best universities in Europe, um, a really, really, really close community of people. Um, and it just, the, the people are from the, the people in Northern Ireland and in general, the people on the island of Ireland are the nicest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, um, I, I've been relentless. I've, I've got help from every corner when I, when I started my business, everyone 
wanted to help me. And is it very multicultural? Are there a lot of you know expats from the Netherlands and other no, places? No, no, the Northern Ireland, not. Um, I would be, I would struggle to find another Dutch person to be completely honest. Uh, but but Dublin, oh. Dublin, however, so the Republic of Ireland is very uh, expat. I think twenty five percent of the people in Dublin are Irish. So. Um, okay, so Dublin, yes, but not not so much no, in Belfast. No, that, do, you li- do you like that being amongst a, sort of a, a mostly homogeneous environment? Yes, I I just I feel yeah I feel more comfortable um, being in Belfast, being in people here. You see, what I mean, it's, I never felt like really when I lived in the Netherlands, I never really felt at home to be honest. And then this the moment I arrived here in Northern Ireland in my first few months, I. Yeah, I knew that I knew that I was going to stay here long term. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. You know, is there much of a watch culture in Belfast? I mean, I know that you have a a physical store location. I believe you do. Um, Talk about, you know, what it's like to be a watch person in Belfast. It was absolutely brilliant because no one was talking about it. (laughs) No. Okay, so you had an untouched market. Exactly. And uh, not just that. Uh, Listen, there was a Rolex, Rolex authorized dealer and there was only one. Uh, which there still is. Uh, no, there were there were two actually back in the day. Uh, sorry, and there's no now only one, um, and and no one was really talking about watches. And I I now get approached on the street, like, and this is this is a special feeling, mate. I genuinely, I I am. It just feels it feels so special that like someone approached on the street, like show walks to me first of all sir i'd like to steal your watch like no (laughs) luckily you don't have that stuff in belfast (laughs) to be honest but um here show me they bought a watch somewhere right and it's like super proud to show me this tiso or this longine it's like they're like that is just it's it there, there is a watch culture is happening right in front of me and then i'm very very proud to be one of the people that has okay so you get to be sort of the de facto de facto leaders of this. Okay, so you have a store. Yeah. And, you know, talk about the types of watches that you sell. You know, how did you get this stuff? I mean, getting inventory is, you know, just as hard as anything else. You know, talk about setting up a a, a, re, a, a retail business, you know, in an undeveloped city like that. For me, um, for me, it was very, very important that we had something to show for, that we had to do different, right? So um, when I started my business at the age of 29, I was thinking I can... I can service watches, right? I'm a watch back. I'm a top. Back in the day, I couldn't put the watch back together. Now, at later years, I was able to do that, right? And it's quite handy. So this is a this is how I started my business. I, I quit my job and I got a loan, a twenty thousand euro loan in the south. Um, black, it was I was a bit dishonest towards the bank at the time because I actually quit my job, but I got the loan based on my salary. Um, and okay, and I bought a few watches and a Bratling Navy Timer, the forty-two mil golden steel with a white dial, um, Tudor Pelagos, uh, Rolex Datejust one one six two three four, black dial, um, uh, just a few, like a few pieces, right and. But to stay alive, I was trying to fix watches. I was fixing up for people. Um, and that was me trying to f- stay alive. And then hopefully I sell a watch and, and I sold my first watch. Um, and that was a, um, that was the Pelagos um, with a hundred pounds profit. And that's how I started a bit. And I started with the idea that I needed to net about, and I needed a net 1500 pounds sterling a month to have a comfortable living, but also have a savings and I can go on holiday once a year. So that was my aim. And 
that's literally with, fi- with fifteen hundred pounds. Fifteen hundred pounds profit. Yes. Yeah. It, huh. That's that's the uh, cost of, that's thrifty living. The, Congratulations. The cost of living in Northern Ireland are significantly lower than than anywhere else. But I promise you that. So okay, so you found one of the like the the few loopholes to legitimately use loan money to buy yourself watches. Yeah. Congratulations! That well, that was hard to do. Uh, no, it wasn't. AIB five minutes took me to get the loan out. <laughs> look at that! Look at that! So no, I mean, how often does somebody start a successful business in the luxury space by you know taking out a loan and having like a little plan? Like it doesn't happen that often. I uh, I wouldn't know, mate. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Uh, I'm telling you, it's very rare. I mean, congrats! You uh, you did it. You did it. One of the most ethical approachable ways you know you've you've done it in a way that someone else with a different idea or in a different city could be like oh i i never thought about doing it through a bank everyone's like i need investors i need to like pull people together you know like you can you don't you don't need a huge amount of capital to start a a watch business even to make a production run of watches if it's especially low end you know right. 30 40,000 bucks no for me for me i started with 20,000 euros and, and listen i'm i'm not going to lie it was tough it was tough um at times i i needed, no doubt like at times I, I i thought i needed to stop this and get a job but the whole reason i quit my job was to make sure i didn't fail in this one thing Right, I failed in everything else in life, and and I've disappointed my parents multiple times, and and I just couldn't, uh, I, I I couldn't allow myself to do fail one more time. So, for me, this was just so important to succeed. And um, so, what were the breakthrough moments you had? Because obviously, you you were able to overcome those challenging periods. What did you do? What happened? I sold the Celestial, uh, Patek Philippe Celestial, on consignment, um, and uh, the guy I sold it sold it uh, for. Um, and I, I promised we, we agreed on a 10% commission. He gave me all of a sudden 25,000 pounds. And all of a sudden, I made 25,000 pounds. And as I'm like, keep in mind, mate, keep in mind, wow. I, I probably the months before combined made about 1,500 quid or maybe even less. You see what I mean? And and this was what you had some capital all of a sudden. All of a sudden, at 25,000 pounds, and I had three four other watches and 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 i'll never i'll never forget that in my life um i sold the watch for- how'd you sell the celestial this is a this is a you know this is an exotic watch how'd you sell it i sold it a corona 24 to another dealer <laughs> okay it was absolutely okay. brilliant i uh i literally posted a corona 24 at the time and and uh to avoid um sorry corona 24 but to avoid your cost i we tried to plug to get a phone number and then I got a touch and then this gentleman wired me the money. Yeah. Okay. So you did a, you did a risky thing, uh, yeah. but it worked out and then, yeah. and, and okay. So then you, you, you sold this one and your, your idea now is like, okay, Nico, I can do this. I can get yeah. watches and, and meantime, I can sell them. The meantime, I started an Instagram account, right? So this is why, okay. I, this is, this is, this is to go back to our, our, uh, our first, uh, uh, the beginning of this conversation where we talk about like, non-traditional way of, of of promoting your business now social media at the time that didn't exist obviously so um i mean i'm a new generation i was i was trying to learn as much as i can and and every single day and share that online i still in my favorites in my phone have my first ever video i took it's it's embarrassing to be completely honest i can't watch it or nor listen to it but i still have it there as a reminder of how far I came and and this Instagram just grew, this Instagram account grew. 
and 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 a big change after I sold the Celestial was when I met up with um, a few local footballers that played for the the the, the country Northern Ireland footballers. Right, we're talking about proper football here, not the American bollocks. Oh, this is where the, like the fans get really angry and stuff. Oh, sorry, sorry, but it is, uh, yeah, it's proper football. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> now, I, I've seen this culture very different than American sport <laughs> fandom. Very different, exactly. And um, these boys gave me the opportunity to sell a few more watches. So um, and they gave me a few watches on consignment, and that's literally how I grew. And uh, um, I remember Josh. Uh, so, what year was this? What year were we talking about that this sort of really? Okay, 2018, early, it started early, to really pick up. Early 2018 is where it really started to pick up. And and in mid-2018, I believe it was mid-2000. No, it was early 2019. I changed I, I changed the name to Pride and Pinion because... 19. 19, early 19, because it could have been also the end of ni- uh, 18, by the way. But to give you an idea, my company, or eh, it wasn't a company, it was just me selling watches through Instagram... Uh, was called watchni.co.uk, watchnorthernireland.co.uk. You couldn't have met, couldn't have been more inspiration less than that, to be completely <laughs> honest. Oh, you start basic and uh, then you get a little bit more branding. Right. And, um, and for me, it was like the 1500 quid is still, by the way, today the salary I make, right? The salary we pay ourselves. But um, I myself, the rest of my life is paid by the company, but we'll not talk about that. Um, uh, the, 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 the key for me was like, I just wanted to make that 1500 pounds. And then I realized people started to like what I was doing. I started an Instagram live show called watches and bollocks every Tuesday night at eight o'clock. And all of a sudden from okay. 10 people watching that to 30 people watching that to 50 people watching that to all of a sudden through hundred people plus watching that. And and that whole growth and you did it consistently, and that's really what it was about. Like you would do it, you would yeah. keep pushing it, you were persistent. Yeah, I kept on because this I I I didn't have a safety net. I needed to do this, mate. I needed to succeed, and and consistency in a, in a life where I've all. What, what did you talk about on these shows? Just about watches and about bollocks, like about just what was going on in life. Like and just a, like a camera on you and yeah. you're just talking and, yeah. and that's that. All right. It was just, it was Instagram life, mate. It was, I had 3000 followers and t- grew up to 12 and, and it just like, it was, it, it's funny how timing is so important because I think you'll agree that, you know, right now, uh, a lot of people complain that Instagram is a very oversaturated platform. So there's like certain things you do in one year that you can't replicate, you know, uh, just a year later, because it's already oversaturated yeah. in that in that way. You know what I mean? Like uh, for me, I got on blogging. Uh, you know, back in two thousand seven, now a while ago, at a time where this just wasn't being done. So I had an opportunity to corner the market because just not a lot of people were doing yeah. it. I stayed strong, hopefully because of the quality of the content. But you know, it's just it wasn't. It was the space that you could grow through. You know, Google search engine stuff. Yeah, for for me, like I grew up in a time where. What, becoming a watch dealer wasn't really a thing, actually. Like in 2018, 17, we weren't talking about that. Becoming a watch dealer wasn't really something you you were gonna do. Like today, I get messages. Well, it, it was it was less of like I said, a cowboy that can just go ahead and do it. Uh-huh. To be a watch retailer, you'd have to work for a watch store. Yeah. This idea that you can become a watch retailer while acquiring your own inventory through the purchase of pre-owned or, like you said, consignment and things like that is a new 
uh, we'll call it a strategy or a marketing, you know, technique, which uh, has to do with it being available. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a little while ago, you wanted to sell watches. You need to be hired by a watch store that uh, that had the inventory. Yeah. Now, for me, for me, I, I just saw it very simple. Like, I just wanted to add value to the industry while having a normal life as well next to this. Having a life, being happy for once in my life. You see what I mean? And 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 I discovered that you can only be really happy if you do something that you love. And that was watches. I just, I just, I just. This is my life, mate. You see what I mean? Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blog to Watch Store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the Blog to Watch Store. Right now, the Blog to Watch Store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blog to Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The Blog to Watch Store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now, and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. What do you love about selling watches? Because that's a slightly distinct thing from being into watches. I mean, we can talk all day long about why we're into watches. We barely need to broach that topic. But right. what is it that you like about also selling watches? Like, to give you an idea, to be completely honest, right? And this is like my company has grown. We, we're selling 150 odd watches a month. Um, like we're, we're 18, 19 people now. No, sorry, 17 now. We, we just hired number 18, um, which hasn't started yet. We're a big company, right? Or relatively big. Now for Ireland, we're big. Um, for American, Great. for American, like, no, I think for any watch retail business, most watch retailers are, you know, less than six or seven people. So to be a watch retailer of more than 10 people is already is already medium sized. Right. So like this is what I miss the most, right? Because you, you're asking, what is it about selling watches? And this is the thing, right? I was I was always in my wee shop, right? The small shop in a five star hotel. Right. And 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 I was there every morning and I was waiting there, sitting behind my desk. Trying to write stuff about the uh, about the industry, or or posting stuff on Instagram, or taking photos of watches, or speaking to people. Right, that was what I was doing the whole day, waiting for someone to walk into my shop. Now, the most in most incredible thing of, about selling a watch is that you're becoming a part of someone's incredibly expensive purchase. Right, and now the word expensive, you need to dissect that, right, because Someone can work their entire life to spend five thousand pounds on one watch, right? Absolutely. And I become, Absolutely. and automatically, I become part of that hustle, of that journey, of that buying process. I'm part of, and and like all of a sudden, you're part it's of. It's an emotional and scary experience for them. They need to trust you. You need to hold their hand a lot yeah. when necessary, right? Because we don't like to be honest. Think about this, right? It's absolutely berserk. It's just ludicrous that we're paying even more than a thousand pounds for an object that we absolutely do not need, right? So this is yeah, but, but humans have been doing this for thousands of years. Yeah. So for 
it, to give you an idea, right? I am part of, of someone's hustle, someone that, that worked their absolute bollocks off to, 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 to get all that money together and to buy that one thing he wants, or, or I'm part of this retirement journey, or, or like, we don't need watches. We, like, it's not about the watch, it's not about the time, it, it's, it's what the watch represents, right? And I, and I am becoming a, 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 a part of that. Now, I am not very often in my shop anymore, and, 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 and I, re- I, I regret that. I, I, I find that very sad because that, that's where it started. That's where I want to be, and that's where I feel the most comfortable. So where are you? If you're not in your shop, where are you? I'm in the, I'm in the office. I'm, I'm traveling across the world, which I am very grateful that I can do because, like, I mean, I'm, the business is we're doing so incredibly well, and, 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 and I, can, I meet so many incredible people on the way. But, like, if you would ask me what I would rather do or what is the one thing I would do to – do if I can choose one thing, what would I do? I would be in my wee shop, speaking with people, and, and be part of their journey. And 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 let, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. I've been curious mm-hmm. about. Uh, so, from my perspective, I see new businesses like yours starting up a lot. I'm not saying identical to yours, but from the yeah. outside, it's a store that has a curated sele- curated selection of mostly pre-owned watches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and tries to sell through, you know, service and the curation of that selection sometimes has other accessories. Mm-hmm. The the concern, and I guess the question is, there's, there's, beco- there's becoming so many of these to the consumer, it's unclear which of them to do business with. Pricing is sometimes very different things, and, and there's sort of a commonality, but there's still so many that consumers may not know who to do business with. Are, does it concern you that there are a lot of competitors or is the way you get consumers and the way that you communicate with them so special and unique that really no one else could do it but you? Um, good question. I, I don't think it's, 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 it's concerning me in any way, shape or form. I, I, I do think if, if, if something goes wrong, like people go into this business, open an Instagram account and call themselves a watch dealer, sell a few watches, don't know that the watch is fake. Uh, don't have the necessary experience. Stuff goes wrong. Can't rectify it. Customer is 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 the one left with empty hands. Like that is the stuff that does concern me. Um, what I do really like is 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 the fact that there's more and more people talking about our favorite subject than ever. And and I think that's a good thing. I'd rather have a street forward restaurant because that attracts a lot of people. Uh, than 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 one restaurant in that street where no one is walking. You see what I mean? It's 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 a bit of that. Yeah, I would compare. Uh, I would compare it a little bit like that. I. But y- you see what I'm yeah. saying, right? Like what happens in this industry is that things get popular, mm-hmm. then people start to replicate it. Then sometimes you get a you get to a, we'll call it a saturation point where there's just too many businesses for each of them yeah. to make money in the space because there's just so many consumers. Yeah. Then it becomes a battle for eyeballs. I guess the next natural question is, you know, how do you find new people? Is it still your own personal social media activity? Uh, is there sort of a more broad marketing arm? I get it, it's a larger question that you and any retailer like you has to ask because it goes into the cost of doing business. Right. I think that what is important to say is, from the outside, pride and pity might look like it's just Nico doing his thing. But like, as you said, it's it's nearly 20 people now. Right. Like running an e-commerce business is actually more expensive than running a, a, a brick and mortar business from gauge from many perspectives. Uh, your thoughts? But yeah, like you're absolutely right. To give you an idea, our shop is 5% of our 
less than 5% of our uh, total revenue. And if, if you compare that cost by cost, that means that our shop costs more uh, and is more expensive than, than our actual e-commerce shop. And, and the fact I need to hire um, a gate, I need to hire developers, I need to hire um, um, website and photo photographers, stuff like that. You don't have that type of cost in, 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 in bricks and water. Uh, but like for me, like getting new eyes on, on what we do is, is like YouTube, right? We need to look at our future, right? The future and the next generation, because like, I will never, ever sell a watch. Like I know my customers, right? I know a lot of my customers. I will never, ever sell a watch to a guy who has bought his entire life from the Rolex authorized dealer or his entire life from the Patek authorized dealer, unless he's really pissed off, right? I would never sell him a watch or I would. Which happens, by the way. Those guys get pissed off all oh, the time. Yeah, exactly. Right. But they're just done with the suit and tie and, and the champagne and the bollocks and the lie to and whatever. Um, I'm not going into detail. I have too many stories about that. Um, but I like that's not my that's not my um, my demographic. My demographic is the young professional, the people that that start to make money or already in, at the top of their game, the people that are that like to walk it drive their drive their luxury car in front of a hotel and they're just like walk in with their shorts and be themselves you see when I, that's my cat that's my these are my customers right and and like knowing being able to know that and, and being able to to act on that i think that that's where the strength is how i get new eyes on it like i mean youtube started as a basically our our last resort and and it turned out to be the savior of my company and, and YouTube is. What do you mean by last resort? Discuss that. Uh, to give you an idea, like my 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 shop was based in a, in, in a hotel because I couldn't afford a retail location at a, at a, at a, at a, in a street in a retail street. So I needed to be creative, and and I, I got a lot of inspiration from 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 Rome, where I saw a shop and sh- shop in hotels, and and then London, I saw a shop in a hotel, and Geneva, you see shops in hotels, and it's like. That's what I need to be. So I just approached, approached the hotel. Right. And they were dead on. So for me, that was when I got my shop. But I mean, uh, COVID happened, and oh, so you're saying as as a as a vehicle to find customers? Yeah. So like as well as that, because I'm like uh, the five star hotel. There's usually people that that are relatively wealthy that would stay in that hotel, and I would maybe be able to sell a watch or two to one of the guests. So it was in that case, it was a brilliant move. But like I started YouTube as a last resort uh, to save my own company because um, my shop was based in a hotel and hospitality was the first one to close during lockdown and COVID. Yeah, during the pandemic. Yeah, and yeah. and I didn't believe in YouTube at all. So so what what did you do on YouTube exactly? I talk. Uh, yeah, I, I talk about watches. <laughs> You're you're oh, you're being coy a little bit. What do you not say? Uh, I need to behave myself, Ariel. I'm trying to really hard not swear, not to swear. Or <laughs> so you okay? So you swear a lot on YouTube. I, look, look. There's an audience for that. Exactly. There's the audience, and that is the new people, the new people that buy watches. And and to be honest, Ariel, today um, looking at looking at myself, uh, we're the biggest social media platform in the world in our industry. Um, not just on YouTube, but also in China, uh, with millions of followers. Um, and and if I look at TikTok and Snapchat, um, 
Like we're the biggest social media channel in the world in our industry. And it's something I'm very, very proud of. But that 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 started by absolute desperation. Funny, isn't it? Now, two important questions here. Yeah. How important is your product curation? Meaning you obviously have to have nice watches yeah. that people want yeah. to degree your influence can push people in one direction or another, but you still have to have good taste in watches. How important is that? And then how difficult is it to ship these watches? Because I understand that you and a lot of the companies like you, of course, send watches anywhere in the world where there's a buyer. How how complicated does the logistics part of it get? So curation of the watch is that importance and logistics. The curation of your of, of, of the watches is, is one of the most important things in the world. So it's one of your business, being able to showcase watches that like I want to be unique, right? I have a collection of vintage Daytonas that no one has. I'm currently wearing an extremely rare 626.5, by the way. Um, I also have, like, we have casually a 626.3 14 carat, full 14 carat, uh, full set, by the way. Um, good luck finding that. Uh, from Comexes to uh, a piece unique out of my PK Royal Oak. I mean, that is so vital. These watches sell once or twice a year, right? It's not that you sell most, sell them a lot, but it's it's the fact that we have this in our collection gives us credibility. And I think that that is a really important thing. So your collection is massively important. Yeah. You have good taste. I mean, that's, I think, an important thing that goes without saying here. There are a lot of people who have, you know, great gregarious personalities that fail in selling watches because they don't have good watch taste. At the end of the day, they're not selling a good service. A prerequisite to doing anything that Nico does <laughs> is having decent taste in watches and knowing what you're doing there. I can't I can't stress that enough. If you're someone out there who's listening to this, who's like, I'm going to start up one of these businesses, you actually have to gain watch culture first. Yes. That has to happen yeah. first. I mean, you know, there could be zero personality to pride and opinion, and it might have less viewers and less sales. But still, if you went there, you're like, okay, I can see what they're doing with this collection. And like you said, you have... You know, some easy, easy uh, conservative pieces that anyone can stand behind. Once in a while, you have something weird in there yeah. that you can talk about that's definitely not for everyone. You try to have an inexpensive watch in there. You obviously focus on also what's trendy. So there's a lot of like, oh, I know Rolexes are popular. Yeah, of course. I have a bunch of those. Um, but those are probably hard to move because, you know, I, you know, tell me about that. Like, it's like you have to, it's like for some reason you have to list it above retail, but then because there's so many listed everywhere, I, how, how often do the Rolexes even move? Um, every single day, mate, every single day. But I'll, I want to come back to that because, uh, like, like watch taste, right? So, um, you remember Ben Clymer, but this is years ago, right? Where he was always talking about, uh, universal, uh, UG, universal Geneva, like all the time. Right, like he was always talking about it. I, I, I never, I, I, I stay in my own creative lane, so I don't really listen to what other people do. Like, not out of any rudeness. Ben, I just, I stay in my own creative ben lane. Ben made me obsessed with Yuji, right? And 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 I needed to find the best unicompacts I could find, and mm. and and that is the stuff I really love. <laughs> you see what I mean? Like, I like I'm I'm I. I wear my world time. You like hyping things? No, no, like, what do you no. Mean? I just, I just love vintage, mate. I just love it. It's just there's not, oh. a, there's not a watch on the planet that can tell a story 
as good as a vintage watch. It's been on the wrist of people that have, have, have survived things. That so the fact that Rolex is just such a big part of culture means they move pretty easily. Because no, 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 again, they, nothing they, to do with that. But I just wanted to say that part of watch taste. But oh. um, Rolexes sell like the ro- like this is the thing, right? Um, as a business, you need to turn turn. You need turnover. You need to sell watches, and and like if it if it was sure. me, right? If it was just me, and 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 I it was just back to the back to where it all started of of, of this wee small shop, uh, like I would just I would just sell vintage Daytonas and, and vintage Hoyers and 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 uh, fifty Phantoms and like I would just do that. You see what I mean? I would just that will that will be me, but. Like, I, okay. I'm, I'm trying to make an impact in, the, in, in this industry and in, in my... You have to be commercial about it as well. You can't just be an art curator. You can't just have a museum, which is, yeah. which is ideally, right? Wouldn't it be great if you could just sell the exact same thing that you like perfectly, but as a store, you have to appeal to different tastes and also it's exactly. popular. So, so for me, that's very important because like, I'm trying to make an impact on the industry my way. I can't in- impact this industry in a way of... of, of creating a watch or making a watch brand or starting a watch brand. I can't do that. I think it's bad, right? I can, what I can do is impact the watch industry in a different way is, is, is a really fun, casual, but extremely well, uh, um, uh, um, like purchasing process, like being part of their journey. That's what I can do. And therefore it's very important that, like my ambitions, and I've always outspoken my ambitions. Um, after that fifteen hundred uh, quid, um, I actually became became very ambitious, um, and then our goals are very very clear. Like, like I just I want to make an impact on the watch world, and therefore I need to sell all sorts of watches, even the watches I don't like. However, there's one thing I'll never sell. <laughs> What's that? I'll never. I've, I I pride myself that I've never sold a Hublot in my life ever. I will not do that. An Hublot. Okay. I guess everyone has like a brand that they're prejudiced against for one reason or another. But Hublot is such a popular one to not like. It couldn't be some other weird brand? No, like I like Louis Monet, mate. I like your Louis Monet. Sorry, I do. And and it's just like... (laughs) So... uh, no, Hublot makes a good watch. They actually do. They have a lot of great watches. So it's not because of their watches. And, and again, is it worth mentioning the the problem you have? Because again, it's it's funny how people have one or more brands. They're just like, no, I hate that brand. And it's always for some sometimes you know silly little personal reason. But like, do you, have, you know, do you hold a grudge? Like, what what is? No, it? I, I don't hold a grudge. Like, I mean, I, I just like Hublot for me is just an overpriced product. I'm not saying that the product is bad. I'm just saying it's massively overpriced. It, wait, so, but in the scheme of an ocean of overpriced products, it somehow stands out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it stands out by the, okay. by the absolute core of it. Like, I mean, it's a I good, like, it's a, it's always you, been a good whipping you, boy, listen, right? People always like to let whip me, Hublot. Let me let me give you a proper example, right? Let's call a spade a spade. Okay. Right? Hublot makes Richard Mille look cheap, right? In every way possible, right? Like. Okay, that's a yeah, claim. That's a proper claim, mate. That's a proper claim. Like to give you an idea, right? All parts for for Richard Mille, every screw, everything that's made for Richard Mille, right? That's that's made for them. Like even the screws are different, and therefore, if the screws are different, the screwdrivers are different, the tools are different. Doesn't Hublot have their own custom H screws? Yeah, but that's only in a case, mate. That's not in the movement. Like the generic, the generic. Uh, base plate movements, the the twenty eight, uh, the twenty eight, the two eight nine twos that they use in their in their big bang standard chronographs. I mean, 
What about the Unico? How do you feel about the I Unico? I mean, have you ever properly, properly seen the finish of that watch? It's not just that it's a watch that the Unico is finally in-house, right? It's not just that, but it's also the fact the finish of the movement. Like, Grand Seiko, I'm, I'm, I, I, I've, I've been critic. I, I've made my, I made my, my remarks about, about Grand Seiko. It's, it's quite known. But the finish of... You, you also don't like Grand Seiko? I'm not saying nothing, but the Grand Seiko, Grand Seiko is just... Like they blow you blow if I finish out of the door. Well, I mean, it's one fourth of the price. Like, like for me, not anymore. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're talking about a four. Are we talking about a constant four story on here or what's the story? Like to give me that. No, I mean, Grand Seiko is like triple their uh, price over the last ten, five, uh, 10 years. But to give you an idea, when, when, when Hublot de- develops a new movement, right? It's literally like, it's an investment based on, like how many watches do they sell a year? Hundred thousand, two hundred thousand? No, no, you don't think so? No. I mean, no. No I way. mean, if Richard Mille develops, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to I'm going to tell you this. You and I have the same values and brands. Little differences here right. and there. I believe that if you know what I know about Hublot, you might still not like a lot of things about it, but you would agree that they're a proper watchmaker. Oh, I, I, I am saying okay. I'm, just, I'm 100% their proper watchmaker. The, uh, their value proposition is gone. Like, I don't see the value proposition. I have seen no worse value proposition in your average Hublot than in many, many other brands, and they're by no means the most guilty party. So it's it's difficult to disagree and it's completely okay to not like one or more brands for some reason they miff you. I guess what happens is you ch- what we do is we choose one brand and we take out all of our aggression on them. Like, you know, <laughs> like is there a high margin in luxury watches? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Is Hublot the the only guilty no. party? No. <laughs> I mean, Richard Mille sells watches for over a million dollars that it freely admits don't cost anywhere near that to exactly. produce. Like they freely admit that. And they're like, yeah, but we have all these ambassadors to pay. And, you know, Nadal goes through, you know, five watches a year because he breaks them. So someone's got to pay for that. Like, they're, you know, they're just open about it. But, you know, Hublot is a common, you know, target for this. I find it amusing. It's you, it's, but it's part of your brand to hate Hublot, right? You got to throw in a little bit of for me, Hublot for, angst every for, once in a while. For me, for me, listen, I just look at this from a perspective of Hublot is a proper marketing machine, right? And I take my head off for i take my head off respect a lot of respect but i see if i if i look at a if i look at a fusion it just or look at a, the a standard big bang i think it's the what is it the 301 sx and like the standard like i just don't see it i don't see it and i don't feel like we've had we, i have handled a good amount of hublot watches where i wasn't just happy with like there were problems with the watches and and I mean, they're, they're, a lot of them have plastic, like exposed plastic. That's part of the case construction. They call it resin or whatever. Like, it's plastic, oh. and you know you have to you have to get over that. But not all of them. The newer ones is way beyond that. But you're right. For like a solid ten years, you know, you're like twenty grand for this. I I, I understand, but I'm I'm very selective. There are there are enough awesome Ubla watches, in my opinion, that I'm happy to disregard the other stuff because every brand is full of just just junk there's no brand out there that just doesn't have a bunch of junk stuffed in the collection somewhere um genuinely what what would you class as your most favorite watch brand in the whole world you know several years ago i wrote this article where i spent a lot of words discussing why i just refuse to choose a favorite partially i don't want to be bound to one i have favorites but they're for different reasons it's sort of like 
you know, you, you, when you like music, you don't like just one band. You, you're into yeah. music because you like a variety of kinds of music. Um, you know, I'll give you an example on one end of the spectrum, like Zinn. It's this German company yeah. that makes tool watches. They operate in this weird vacuum, like the world still needs their watches. And I love that. It's like, it's like a make-believe brand. It's like, we're making tool watches for a world that doesn't actually need tool watches like this. Like a G-Shock will get you, you know, all the way and then some in most instances. But they exist in this weird vacuum and they do this crazy thing. And then you have an, a brand somewhere else that does like just one of a kind watches, which consults with the client for everything from like the case finishing to like the dial decoration and like the movement. And like that's this wonderful exercise in like making wearable, you know, art that used thousands of hours of an artisan's time. There's just like so many angles to appreciate that's an industry. Rolex makes, you know, for the money, probably the best watch there is. It's super durable, super well made, like a a marvel of modern, you know, industrialization. You know, you appreciate these different brands from just different levels. Let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Right. So, how many? If you can say, let's put it this way, right? You put ten Rolexes to the left and ten Hublots to the to the right, right? And we fast forward seventy five years. How many of the of those ten Hublots would still be there, and how many of those ten Rolexes would still be there? Are you, are you suggesting they would decompose somehow? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> ten, ten, ten people. Let's put it this way: ten people would wear the Rolexes, ten people would wear the Hublot. How many? How many Rolexes? If your if your judge is timelessness, yes, Rolex already has a timeless design. It's, it's already proven design. that design, they are. It doesn't... Design is is a matter of of taste. I'm talking about the actual watch. Which one will be thrown in the bin or I, will be done? I, I don't know. All I know is that there's, for me, I get a, a, a distinct joy out of wearing something like a Rolex and something like a Hublot. It's very different feelings. Hublot is potentially going to look silly in a while. And sort of like with fashion, like some things, you know, only look cool now. And in 10 years, you have no idea. Some things will come back. Jacob and go five times. Oof. Not a pretty watch. No, Definitely not a pretty watch. No respect for for Jacob at the time that, that everyone was wearing that. I mean, I can't even imagine wearing that thing well, or get paid for it. He, he, he never thought it was particularly good looking. It was made fun of. But again, I think the importance is that was a watch that appealed to the mainstream that you and I know are never going to have the same taste huh. as someone who is sort of like an elite enthusiast like us. The mainstream is there to fund all of this so that like, nerdy enthusiasts like us can argue over like dial tech yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is so funny do you remember the time where vintage they thought like vintage daytonas were going for like the 639 these dials like the palming ones like this is this is only a few years ago we're talking four or five years ago like people were still making a point about sigma dials and and, and like st still the floating cosmograph is quite important but dude i've seen watches available for compared to today's prices, dirt cheap, that I had the opportunity to get that I didn't. I mean, it's easy to go back and regret all these things. No one could have known that a Nautilus would be worth what it is yeah. right now. I would have I would have had like two dozen opportunities to buy them at like under under 10 grand. <laughs> um, I remember it was like a, a used Nautilus. It's like, you know, 10 grand. That's all that costs. You know, a, a Aquanaut, seven, you know, six to seven, eight grand, something like that. That's what it cost in Hong Kong. No problem. So I do remember those times. Um, I think it's it's great that there's been all this public awareness about it. I do think that there's going to be a shift back to it being a a 
a buyer's market versus a seller's market in, in the foreseeable future. But the overall effect of getting luxury watches on the mind of the mainstream, I think is invaluable for our businesses because it means there's going to be a lot more people um, you know, reading a blog to watch articles and buying pride and opinion timepieces. For me, I think we're heading towards the in- incredible direction where where watches are becoming more popular than ever. And, and smart watches have a big, big thing in that as well, mate. Genuinely, like kids are people that, that some people would never wear a watch, and all of a sudden they buy they buy this this Apple Watch, this consumer de- electronic device, and 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 all of a sudden they buy a strap for it, and different strap, and another different strap, and all of a sudden they see other people and friends wearing a wearing a luxury watch or wearing a mechanical watch, and, and that people just getting used to. This. So do you, do you know that when they first came out, I had to defend this position? Like the watch industry was so threatened by them. Did you? There are brands that there there are brands that threaten to like stop working with me if I continue to like promote smartwatches. And I was like, you guys are all idiots. These guys are not going to threaten you. They're not going to take a, a piece out of most of your brands. The smart brands will adapt, and it's going to get watches on people's minds like i immediately understood immediately understood what smart watches were going to do and i wrote about it to an industry that had the exact opposite opinion is, like i i was the only literally the only one in this space writing uh, about uh, this is this is exactly the point what you're making and what we said in the beginning of our conversation our industry and the brands have no idea what their customers are who their who are who their customers are and what they're actually doing and that's a sad thing because let me tell you one thing. The majority of people that wear, but that buy Patek Philippe today are the new uh, millionaires, the new millionaires. And the new millionaires are the people that use bad language or and the, the people that, that work their absolute bollocks off to get where they are today. You see what I mean? And then they're not, the, not right. always the kosher uh, speaking people. They're hardworking people, new generation type of people. You see what I mean? You're speaking to a group of people that the sort of clean, buttoned up language and culture from France or Switzerland Mm. simply isn't reaching. And so you're able to reach an audience that is not being served by their communication. And that is, you know, what's at the heart of your success and those who are like you that speak to their own respective audiences. I absolutely agree. Um, But I do not think that that watch brands are a bit lost at the moment. Do you you think that if you like... If you couldn't sell watches in today's economy, in today's massive high-brand watches, if you couldn't be a successful watch brand today, you wouldn't ever be a successful watch brand. Do you not think? Do you not? Do you not agree? <laughs> um, look, I, I I think what we've established is we probably have to have more discussions. Uh, we're 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 over Are time we? now. I th- I want to talk about that topic <laughs> a lot. Yeah, we're over we're over an hour now. I know, right? It just time flies. That's that's why these things are weekly, right? Because there's so much to talk about. That's class. Um, but I'll I'll have to have you back. I, I I do agree that they're lost. That's a whole other conversation. Some of them have figured it out, but there's a lot of good reasons uh, to that would be fun to discuss. Um, Nico, please just remind everyone where they can learn more about you, visit your store, follow your channels, just shout out whatever you'd like to uh, shout um, out right now. Ariel, really appreciate that, by the way. Um, Brightopinion.com, if you, if you want to buy or sell your watch. Um, we're the only dedicated luxury watch boutique on the island of Ireland. We sell all over the world. Um, and we deliver all over the world. That was one of your questions. I didn't answer my apologies on that, Ariel. Um, you can find me on YouTube, Nico Leonard. Don't judge uh, my language. I've tried to behave myself this time very much. You'll see a di- complete different Nico, by the way, there. Um, <laughs> but 
You've done a great I, job. Um, uh, listen, I, I, I just want to make an impact on this watch world. I bring in making, getting new people enthusiastic about watches and that's what I do. And, and I'm very fortunate that I can also sell watches with my company and it makes me an absolute lucky, lucky bugger. Nico, thank you very much. And thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of the Superlative Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit blog2watch.com. <laughs>